Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. Today's guest is an accomplished senior leader for one of the top global logistics companies in the world. In her role, she oversees the training and development of over 2,500 sales professionals and leaders spanning across 40 countries. I learned, unfortunately, the hard way that the next best step in your career is not necessarily up. So to have the courage and the insight and the confidence to say, this next role up is not really what I want. But just because everyone goes up or it's natural for us to just go for the next promotion up doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. Meet Janae Boda. On the outside looking in, Janae's career is beyond impressive, marked with outstanding performance and frequent promotions. While all that is true, in this candid conversation, Janae shares what that journey has been like from within, both good and challenging, and we cover a wide range of topics, including growing up in South Africa during apartheid times, seeking creative outlets and growth outside of her full-time job, and the importance of finding a partner who supports your career ambitions. This is just some of the amazing conversation that we have. I can't wait for you to meet this amazing woman. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Janae. Thank you very much. It's, I'm so excited to speak to you today. Yes, me too. I I'm looking forward to this so much. And when we met the first time I got excited and then I subscribed to your newsletter and having read a couple of your newsletters now, I'm even more excited for today's conversation. So everyone get ready. <laughs> this is going to be a great conversation. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. It's so encouraging to yeah. get feedback on that. Thank you. I love that you are extremely multifaceted. And what's neat is what we've connected on through the work that you do is not your full-time day job. Your full-time day job, you are a VP of sales development for a global logistics company and a very important high-powered role. So maybe start us with, tell us a little bit about what a day in the life is like for you and the work that you do. And then what made you want to start kind of doing some of these content and speaking outside of work? So a day in my life in my corporate role means that I am responsible for helping the sales teams in the European countries to develop. So basically supporting them in any way that is needed to grow their results. Mm. Lots of travel. I love mm. it. Really enjoy it. I am very motivated and energized by working with the different countries because I'm not European. Mm -hmm. So I come from South Africa. And having time and interactions and meetings with people, for example, from Switzerland and understanding all the complexities of the different countries really energizes me. So I'm really energized by people who are different from me and also cultures that are pretty much different from me. So my role is highly active, but also in a way that I get lots of energy from it. Mm. So really enjoying that. I started my coaching business on the side in 2015. And the main reason where well, there are two steps in this, the first one was just that I saw the power of expert coaching, the power of certified coaching. And what I noticed is that it's very difficult for us to change our behaviors. It's very difficult for us to reach goals. And I see that coaching is one of the tools that brings the biggest results. Mm -hmm. So I was very interested in that. Um, one of my biggest drivers is learning mm -hmm. and developing myself. So to see a tool like, for example, coaching, help people to make bigger steps quicker, I was really interested in that. And I get also, again, a lot of energy working with coaching clients where I can see, okay, they are making steps. And in the end, I'm also developing and making steps myself. So that was like the first step in my journey to becoming self-employed as well, being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And then also the second part was truthfully where I expanded even more on this is I was having a few years later, a hard time at work. Mm. And I needed to 
open up more options for myself. And that is when I asked for permission to also work on the side on the coaching. So that is where it was. So it was very personally driven, but then also personally driven through how I interact with people and how I coach. So the interaction, but also personally, just to give myself more options and feel more empowered in my situation at that point. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute because there's other things I've kind of earmarked that I want to talk about, but since you brought that up, you know, it's really interesting because the company that you've been at, it's been almost 15 years, which is pretty incredible. And sadly, we don't see that very much anymore. You know, you started out as a regional sales training manager, and then every two to three years for the first nine years, there was this kind of regular growth that seemed to be happening. You were taking on more, you do more. And then you mentioned, you know, 2015 is when you started your coaching business and it was, you know, kind of a couple of years into that, a hard time at work. And there was one role in particular that you held for eight years, which is much longer than kind of what had kind of been the average for every role leading up to this one. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those eight years and what, at what point made it kind of hard at work? That's really a great question. And I, I love that you asked that because it also helps me to reflect on it. Mm. For me, those eight years that I was in that specific role, I would almost say that was my career university. Mm. <laughs> the lessons I learned in those eight years was just unbelievable in many ways. So I uh, stepped into that role when I was about a year and a half looking after Europe sales training. Mm-hmm. And the, the eight-year role that we are talking about is the global counterpart of that role. Mm-hmm. So it was a quite a big, quick step into the global role. Okay, there so was, you went from, so you were in just Europe sales training, and now you had global exactly. training. Wow, yeah. okay, that is a huge step. Okay. So that meant that I was working with five to seven vendors designing all the sales training for our company Mm. that goes to 220 countries. We translated into 15 languages in all six regions as we define them. And, you know, that was actually the easy part, (laughs) the hard part. (laughs) One of my first lessons that I didn't realize was the political landscape Mm. in these types of roles. And that is not criticism to anyone or any company in a specific situation or any specific company, but it was just the nature of the beast, if we can say it like that. So it it just comes with the job title. I Mm -hmm. kind of am inferring what you mean, having Mm -hmm. not been at this size or scale company, but definitely kind of understanding internal politics. Is there an example you can share of like what you mean by the political landscape in these roles? It was specifically bringing conflicting agendas into one place and navigating difficult conversations where the other people might have different opinions from each other, from me, and still to be able to maintain the relationship. Mm -hmm. So it is the debating, the disagreeing, the communication around it, because I might have a conversation with one person, they might speak to another person, and it's so easy to misunderstand each other or that communication falls through the cracks. So navigating these different parts was my biggest learning. Yeah, well, and I can only imagine if you're working across six designated regions and you're just the sales training alone is being translated Mm -hmm. into 50 languages. I mean, we're not just talking about you know, people who are all literally speaking the same language. I mean, we're talking about there's there's lots of room for disconnect between how communication happens, cultures, and then just to your point, competing agendas at mm-hmm. times. The thing that made it difficult for me is a strength. One of my strengths made it difficult for me. And that is relationships and connection and collaboration mm-hmm. is extremely important to me. Mm-hmm. So even today, I had a difficult moment with someone in the office. And while we are speaking, I'm still processing it. It was a few Mm -hmm. hours ago. And it was just a conversation. You know, it was not even disrespectful or anything. It was just a conversation. Mm -hmm. So it went counter to what I'd like to do. I like it when there's harmony Mm -hmm. and you collaborate and you support, and that's not always possible. I mean, it's many times not possible. And and also on that level role, and also the current role that I'm in, you're expected to 
bring different ideas, challenge each other, be challenged. So that was hard for me to learn. And as I said, you know, already I'm still learning how to work with those emotions Yeah. because the moment a relationship is at threat, especially important one, then it's very difficult for me. Yeah. It sounds like you're still strengthening those skills, but that's really interesting because yes, that desire to collaborate and nurture relationships and kind of create harmony is such a beautiful trait and so needed. And so what types of things do you do to kind of help? Because yeah, it sounds like sometimes those are almost in conflict with what you need to do in your primary day-to-day job. So how do you kind of support yourself in that way? And you're absolutely right. I'm still in the process of that. I was thinking today, when will I ever learn this lesson? (laughs) I'm still still developing it. But I focus to build the relationship. Yeah. Which is, if I feel that the relationship is there, then I feel we can debate. Mm. And so my, my primary focus is to build the relationship. And my mechanisms until that is there, as I ask myself, what was my intention? Mm. Did I come with a clean, clear, positive intention? That is my responsibility in this conversation. And the other person also has a responsibility. And so that helps me to process it because I can control my intention and I should. Yeah. Yeah. If the relationship is not there and you've done everything you can to build it, how do you navigate that situation when it's somebody you have to work with? So for me in that moment, I accept what I cannot change. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard one. I don't know if you ever can leave a situation like that without the emotional impact, Mm -hmm. without being emotionally impacted by it. So if the relationship is not there, I cannot build it there are difficult moments, then I really try to focus on what can I control and what is in my responsibility and what is not. But I don't think I will ever be without an emotion around this. And on the other hand, also, I don't think I should be. Right. Or I want to be, (laughs) you know, almost want to be still impacted by it because it keeps me as a human being. It keeps Mm -hmm. me on my path of my strengths that supports me strongly with my coaching business. It does. And I think what you call out is such a great point because any career we pursue, there are highs and lows, there's good and there's bad. And it's kind of, you know, the the goal is to try to find a healthy balance that works for you. And then there's going to be conflict. There's going to be difficult conversations. And so to your point, It's not about trying to change something that you have no control over, but instead focusing on what is in your control. And I, I think so much of that is how you cope, how you navigate through that situation. You know, when there are emotions that rise, then how do you allow them to have the life they need and quickly, you know, kind of get back on track and effectively cope. So I I think it's a really great call out. And again, you clearly are practiced at it because you would not be at such a high level of leadership in such a large company if you were unable to do this. There's plenty who have not been able to successfully navigate this. So that's really helpful. You know, something that, you know, you mentioned the senior director role when you're overseeing global, you know, I wanted just to put it in perspective too, for everyone listening today in your current role, can you give us a sense of like, what's like, like your team, how many people are you are kind of like in your org that you are kind of driving, you know, major objectives through, will you just paint a little picture for everyone of kind of like your org and and what like that level of responsibility? Cause I just want people to be clear on how big it is. (laughs) So my boss is a EVP. And he's actually just promoted to our global management board. So he's now one of the top 10 in the company. And I have one person reporting to me on senior director level, but we have dotted lines into the countries, which I always feel is very challenging because you have to influence. Yes. Yes. So for example, say we have a new program that needs to be implemented next year in Europe. Actually, it will come globally and it's my responsibility to implement it in our 40 countries in Europe. Then I need to influence our sales directors and our sales development teams in the countries 
to launch it to the sales executives, to support the sales managers to, to run it. So my role is to make sure that our programs, our revenue results, all of it is on par in Europe, together with our team, of course, together with my line manager as well. But that is my main responsibility. Yeah. So there's 40 countries, we have about 2,500 sales executives and sales managers that falls into the group. So I work directly with these 40 countries. It's amazing. Let me ask you this. Has it always been an ambition to lead kind of at this, at this scale? Is that something that you saw for yourself, wanted for yourself, or has it kind of been more something that's that happened as part of the journey? No, I did not see it for myself, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, because I I grew up in South Africa and South Africa is far away from Europe. Right. <laughs> and I always felt like I wanted to see more of the world, but any flight outside of Africa is 10 hours or 12 hours, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Plus, if you earn South African rands, it is less valuable in euros, for example. So it's not always that accessible. So I never saw myself, honestly, I never saw myself here. I always feel a little bit shocked sometimes when I think about it, to think that I grew up, in, and this happens when I see like photos of me when I was young. Mm. Like from where I grew up in a small, small town, really small town outside of Johannesburg, grew up in apartheid times. The first time we had children of color in my high school, I was 17. (laughs) So everyone white, everyone speaking Afrikaans, my native language, and grew up in a very closed Mm. environment. Mm. And to be able to make these steps is a huge surprise for me. And there's two things for me that I would attribute to that. Firstly, I said yes to a lot of opportunities. Mm. So when something comes, I I go for it. And secondly, I believe that I was given, you know, I'm also Christian. So I also believe that these opportunities are given to me by God. So, you know, it's set in my path. Mm. And there's also something I need to be very aware of. And I am, there's a strong privilege also in my history and growing up, you know, as a white South African, I had education, I had access to university. Things were much easier. I, I was reading Trevor Noah, I don't know if you know Mm, Trevor Noah, Um, I I read his book and we are similar ages and we grew up roughly in the same time. We were in the same age when our governments changed and his experience of that time and my experience, two different worlds, two different worlds, what he went through, what he saw and how I experienced it as a white South African, completely different. So that is what I would attribute making the steps. Yeah. So it's really interesting because I'm so glad you like opened the door for us to talk about that because, you know, when we started this conversation, one of the things you touched on about the work that you do is that you really love learning. You love kind of the exposure to different cultures and people who think differently than you. And it's really interesting now that you're talking about your upbringing and that very kind of closed community, very, you know, everyone's very similar, you know, a closed environment. Were you always someone who kind of sought others that were different than you? Or like, when did that kick in? Because it, it seems very counter to the environment that you were brought up in? I think I always felt out of place. And that could just Mm. be a little kid growing up, right? I mean, who feels Mm. part of the group when I was growing up? But I've always felt a little bit misfitted from how I grew up with my friends and Mm. my environment to, to some degree. Sure. But I feel that the sameness is what pushed me away from it. To be able to just be around people who believe different things, who look different, who have different views on marriage, children and everything around that. And it is sometimes challenging because I have to really question my own beliefs Mm. because my partner and I, we decided we will not get married. Mm. And I had to challenge some of the messages I got growing up about marriage and is it yes or is it no? What does it mean if you don't get married? We had lots of opinions around these things. It's a very traditional Christian environment. And so 
I really had to challenge myself. So I wanted to be in the environment, but I also find it sometimes challenging. It makes, uh, I feel a very strong kinship to so much of what you're saying, because I think in many ways, I'm sure those listening could have felt this, but that just seeing things slightly differently than the people around you and it not making sense how they're not seeing what you see. Mm-hmm. And then I think what I hear too, that I really admire is much like how you are comfortable and invite people to challenge and debate with you, where you have the foundation of a relationship. You also challenge beliefs and things to just think critically about what is really the root of this and where does it come from? And is that something that I believe, or is that something that I don't believe in? And I, I think that's so great as far as being able to inform how you want to show up in the world, what you want to believe in, what you want to stand behind, because you've really thought critically about it. So I really love that. You know, it's so interesting because I'm going to shift us a little bit, but Again, something that's really fascinating about your career is that you have stayed in sales throughout and you started out in an account executive role. Will you tell us about kind of transitioning out of university and moving into working full-time? Like was sales something you thought you were going to do? Like how did you end up in a sales role? Well, it's quite interesting. Firstly, I didn't finish university. I finished high school and couldn't decide what I want to do and then decided (laughs) I will work. Which is very normal, right? How silly is it that we think 17 year olds are going to know what they want to be when they grow up? I mean, I'm 45 and I'm still not 100% (laughs) sure, you know? (laughs) But I took a year off and my father said to me, You are welcome to do it, but you will work. Mm. So actually, that was when what I would call my love for working started. Mm. Because I was completely independent. I had three jobs, I actually worked for him half a day. I was his assistant. He was the hardest boss on me. (laughs) So I learned a few lessons there and just had the independence. Mm -hmm. Then I went to university for a year and I was, I felt bored and I felt what was the point of me reciting the characteristics of small business? You know, I remember that like a moment. And then there was another moment we were talking about customer psychology. And I was just like, I can learn this somewhere else. Mm. And so I made the decision after one year to stop. And that is also different for many people. I live in Germany and Germany value certifications. And I just never felt that I wanted to spend my time and money getting my degree. Now it's also quite controversial or contradictory because I love learning. I'm always doing courses all the time, but it was just in that moment. I didn't want to do that. It's interesting <laughs> listening to you describe it though, because again, I so deeply, <laughs> I very personally relate to that and that <laughs> I have a passion for learning. I never enjoyed academics. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy school. I found it very difficult to me. It was like a necessary means to an end. And I actually really admire the fact that you took yourself out of that environment and didn't kind of just stick it out to see it through. But it makes sense to me that you can have a appetite for learning, a desire to learn. But I think the academic system in general mm-hmm. kind of fits a specific style. It's exactly. not really designed for different types of learning. It's a very specific learning. And if you don't fit inside of that, it can be a challenging experience. So it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what you're saying. So, okay. I interrupted you. Keep continue. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And then I found nice opportunities for work mm. uh, for career opportunities. And then I was actually through my mom, a friend of hers was working at the company called Kelly Personnel. And this is a recruitment company. And I started as an account executive and it was so hard. Honestly, Mm -hmm. the fact that I lasted that long at that age was probably one of my biggest achievements because you have your roles. So you sell to a company or a customer, but you also have the people who will fill those roles. And at that time in South Africa, which is similar to now, we had about a 40% unemployment. And it was very hard for me to say, congratulations, you've got the job to one person and I'm sorry, we'll try again to five other people. So emotionally and mentally, I did it for two and a half years and that was then 
how much I could handle. But also in this sales role, it was very people focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, that was also a big learning in that career where it started for me, the connection with people. Mm-hmm. And that was also the first, actually the first time I was doing business or working in English. So in South Africa, we've got 11 languages and Afrikaans is my native language, but South Africa's business language is English. So I moved from a small company to a much bigger company where I was now supposed to speak to customers in English. And so, yeah, just really, really protected and having to make those steps. So that's how I got into sales and mostly moved towards sales training Mm -hmm. and sales development. So again, more the developing supportive coaching part of the sales so now also my current role is driving me in pushing me in, into a new direction as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at Kelly, you were so unbelievably successful. It's interesting listening to you describe how challenging it was because the metrics that you have from performance are so, so good. And then when you left there, so you were there two and a half years and then you transitioned into manager for sales support and training. So had you started doing some of the training while you were at Kelly or was that, okay, I see you nodding your head. All right. So, so you, so it sounds like you got a little bit of a flavor for it. Maybe tell us about how you knew that that's where you were getting pulled and then tell us about kind of that transition away from Kelly and into your new company. When I was with Kelly, I was looking after a big call center and resourcing the school center. And I started to see that because I was responsible for 60 call center agents seven days a week. And I had to make sure that the call center runs from nine o'clock in the morning until about 11 o'clock at night. And I realized that the call center agents were missing some skills. Mm. Yeah. And so it was shifts. So we had two or three shifts depending on the day. And I just had to replenish the team to join the call center. I then saw that they they need some skills, selling skills, personal skills, communication skills. And I created these small training sessions for them. And that's just out of instinct, I would say, that I started to do that. Mm. And then one day I was in the office and someone else's telephone rang, one of the other account executives. And I just picked up her phone. And it was someone from the bank, Barclays Bank, that I was working with saying that they're looking for a training manager for customer training. Mm-hmm. And I was like, as he was explaining the job description, I was like, wow, this sounds impressive, actually. <laughs> this sounds very interesting. And it was not against policy for that specific case to apply. I spoke to my manager and I applied and I, I got the job. So it was purely by picking up someone's phone. It was supposed to be a completely different person who got that role. If she answered, maybe I would never have known about it, but I I answered. Right. Well, and it makes sense how you mentioned earlier saying yes to opportunities and and kind of feeling like you're being, you know, kind of a a God wink, if you will, of like, there was a reason that you were the one that picked up that call. Oh my gosh, how amazing and how neat that you were not only able to identify gaps, you know, the kind of see at a high level of these gaps within your team, but then to even have the energy to put together trainings for them. And, and that, so when this call came in, you kind of already knew that this was something that you were really enjoying and passionate about. Okay. So, so you move into this major sales and supporting role, you're with this company for three and a half years, but then your next role takes you away from South Africa to Singapore. Yeah. So tell us, I mean, this is, how does this all come to be? Because this is how you end up at your current company, but that feels like a huge Mm. transition. It was uh, interesting because I was with sales training manager or the manager at that point. And I was promoted probably about a year or six months before I left. I was promoted Mm. to take over the team. So my boss left he took a new role, which was quite interesting, Margaret. I didn't even think of applying. This is a bit of a problem that I need to still solve for myself because I didn't even think of applying. And he came to me that I should apply for his role. I'm like, are you sure? 
because I was the last one in. I was the newest person. Mm. So I applied. I got the position. But I'm, I'm just going to guess that yeah. your results were probably the top. Well, I think you would not have said, uh, are you going to apply if they didn't feel that I should take the team? <laughs> and that, it's such a great call out, isn't it? For I think so often as women, we tend to do that to ourselves where we, you know, we, we use these arbitrary things or we, we kind of hold ourselves back for no reason, you know, but I, I think that's, I know I can connect and relate to that. I'm sure those listening can too, of like, why do we do that to ourselves? <laughs> why, why did I not think about it? And for me, it's going to be a pattern I break in 2023. That's my goal. Is this underestimating what I should be stepping up mm. for and just to be bolder with things and risk more. I, I can be more bold and risky, taking risks. <laughs> you know what? We were talking about that when we were prepping. Will you just tell us a little bit more about that? Because again, I think what's so great about these conversations is that we can all look at someone like you and we can look at your LinkedIn profile. And what we see is this unbelievably successful woman who has risen to an extremely powerful level within a huge global company and think that she's on another stratosphere. And yet what you're describing seems almost, again, kind of counterintuitive to what we would assume about you, right? Because we unintentionally make assumptions. So will you just tell us a little bit more about that 2023 goal? Because I think it's so fascinating, that idea of, you know, not underestimating yourself and being bolder. Tell us more about that. Sure. Where it started to become evident for me, it's in my business, Mm. where I'm not taking big enough steps. For example, a few weeks ago, I was sitting in a plane. I was going to the UK. I think I was going to the UK and I was sitting in the plane and just had the idea to write a LinkedIn post Mm. because it was me and my partner. It was our seven year anniversary. Yes. (laughs) And I was just thinking I was going for six days to the UK, followed after that four days to Switzerland for work and then followed by a big week year. And it was just quite a lot of travel. And how hard would it be if he was not so open to -hmm. it? If he was not so supportive of me traveling and being out there and, you know, just following my career the way that I would like to do it. So, and I thought to myself, isn't this a post for many people? Because I was thinking about, honestly, I was thinking about some of the interns in our office saying, you know, they are young and they are still choosing their partners. Just be mindful who you choose because they have a huge impact on your career. They either support you or they don't. And I use the example of, you know, you might be on a deadline. So they either pick up the groceries or they don't. And I was thinking about this post and I wrote it and, but it was very personal. So everyone in our company will see it. I will put it on social media. It is just a very personal post. So I decided that it needs to go out on Thursday. I need to post on Thursday (laughs) until probably 10 to 12 Thursday night before I press send. I was so nervous and I did it. And the next morning I woke up, I'm like, oh, let me see what happened. Should I delete the post? And it was almost with that post, I almost went viral in LinkedIn. You know, the other day, our CEO said to me, oh, Jeanette, I saw your post. So that was an example of having the idea and not talking myself out of it, not talking myself to be smaller and just to go for it, really take a risk where I could be judged. I'm sure people saw it and thought, oh, whatever. But there were so many people that said to me that that post had an impact on them. And that is an example of what I can do differently next year. What I can change is taking those steps. Yes. Oh gosh. I always feel the need to tell people when my cheeks hurt from smiling because they can't (laughs) see me. And I, I just love that so much. And I think there's such beauty and that willingness to be vulnerable because putting yourself out there, putting your ideas out there. And in this case, it was a very personal message that requires vulnerability and vulnerability. Thanks to Brene Brown takes courage, Mm. right? We all know that now. And so I, I love that that is what you want to be doing in 2023, because I read that post and I know personally, I just emphatically was kind of nodding my head and moving along because, you know, what you were speaking about was just so important. And there's not a lot of talk around even just something like the partner you choose as a woman and how it affects your ability to grow in your career. Like, yes, 
Yes, <laughs> there is tremendous truth to that Huge. and such value. So I, and I love that the world's only going to get better as you share more and more of the unbelievable wisdom that you have and these perspectives and stories and even just getting your newsletter. It's just, I find myself thinking differently. It just kind of creates thought. So I get very excited thinking about that. Thank you for sharing the example and, and how you're thinking about 2023. And I, hopefully others listening to maybe we'll follow your example of, of, you know, not withholding something and and giving Mm -hmm. it as a gift to, to others. Okay. I took us away. (laughs) I'll shift us back. That's what I do. I kind of follow threads, but I I promise to bring us back because I even know I'm very intrigued by the transitions. You were sharing with us that your boss was leaving and had asked you to apply for Mm. his role. So we'll pick up back there. Okay. So I got the job and I was in the role for six months when a friend of mine spoke to me about a position with a company that I work now. And this position was based in Singapore and it was fascinating for me because Mm. it involved travel, which I love. It involved people that are completely different from me. And there were two situations there. The first one was I was in that moment in my life in a very bad relationship and also quite trapped, trapped psychologically. Mm. You know, when you don't believe or you don't even think about or see that you can leave, it's not an option. Mm -hmm. And when I spoke to my friend and heard about the position until I was in Singapore, relocated, it was five weeks So heard, interviewed, went there to see if I like it. Visa applications, visa applications approved, moved five weeks. Wow. It was so quick. And I remember saying to my mom, this must be from God. Like I could not question it. If I would think about some of my friends who are thinking of relocating internationally, it can take years. So it was just too obvious for me to not go. And that actually made it easy. Mm. because I could say, you know, okay, I go. And if anything happens, I come back. Right. No problem. So that was Mm -hmm. then I was in a bad place and I was taken out of it. And also the opportunity just completely opened up for me. So in a way, the decision was very easy because it happened so quickly. And that was hard to adjust to Singapore. I must be honest, because in South Africa, everyone knew who I was. So Mm -hmm. my identity was known, was known in my family. It was known with my friends. But going to Singapore, all of a sudden, I was given a bit of a different identity. Mm. So when I landed there, I was probably 15 kilograms overweight, extremely unhealthy. But that image was put onto me. It was just so strange that no one understood my humor They didn't know where I come from. They couldn't relate with who I am as a person. Mm. All of a sudden, my external, how I look externally was more the driver. Of course, my friends in South Africa saw that I had 15 extra kilograms, (laughs) but they still had all Jeanette a little bit in their mind, you know? Right. So I was conflicted with being a different person. Mm. And I actually spoke to my brother about it because he relocated to the UK many years ago and they could not pronounce his name. So he actually changed his name to his second name. And he said he moved out of South Africa as Ernst and he came to the UK as Theo. And he also felt that that disconnect with identity going into a new country. And I don't think you always realize that, but that was hard. And just to adjust to being different, speaking Mm -hmm. differently, believing different things, seeing the world completely different. And it's fascinating because in South Africa, we have many different cultures, many different languages, but that was hard. Yeah. I mean, you were there for three and a half years. (laughs) Again, I kind of, I think about that. I'm like, I think for all of us to just kind of sit there for a moment of like, that's 41 months. Let's say, you know, in kind of what you're describing, there's some like very big, very disorienting experiences of just very different cultures, you know, kind of not being known. There's, you know, not a huge support network there for you either, right? Like you're a very long plane flight away from anyone who knows you. How did you navigate kind of getting acclimated and being there for three and a half years? Because that is no small feat. It comes down for me to being extremely tactical. It is just today. 
So today I have this training session in Thailand and this is what we do. Mm. And tonight, this is what we do. So I, I became very present focused. And I remember, I mean, it was a beautiful experience, but it was a hard transition. It was amazing to see the countries. I went to New Zealand. I trained in Australia, Thailand, beaches for weekends. It was fantastic. Mm. But there was always a hard part because I think sometimes we only see the good parts, but we don't always see the hard parts that people go through. Mm-hmm. And I remember about a month and a half in, I, uh, it was not going well. And I phoned my father and I said, I'm coming back. But I think also instinctively, I knew what answer he will give me because he said to me, Jeanette, if you come back now, it's a failure. And I knew that if I phoned my mother, she would say, I'll get you at the airport. (laughs) (laughs) So in a way, I kind of also spoke to the person that would probably give me the answer that I needed in that moment Mm. to say, you know, it's too soon, go for it. Mm. And so I decided one year, I'll give it a year, I'll give it everything I have, and then let's Mm. see where we are. And it became two years and three years. and And then the position opened up in Europe. And that was always very interesting for me as next step. Europe is a big region for us, also new countries to travel to. And funnily enough, also a region that's on the same time zone as my parents. Mm. So although it's still 10 hours, at least we are experiencing the day roughly the same. Right. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of things that were so great that I just wanted to double down on, which was this idea of who we seek out to speak to. And I think there's just such value in that of like, whether it's, a lot of thought or a quick thought, but this idea of being mindful about who we reach out to for guidance or for help, or just to be a sounding board, because it matters because of how they're going to respond. Or, you know, I think even sometimes in our career, like, do they even have the ability to advise, right? It's like, are you asking somebody for help on something that they, they really shouldn't be giving help on? (laughs) So I think that's really fascinating of the choice to call your father, not your mom. And then I, the other thing I really love is like, giving yourself a milestone of one year and that way taking away the, should I leave? Should I stay? And saying, I'm committing, I'm giving myself one year. I'm going to time box this. And then I'll make a decision at that point. I think that's such a brilliant strategy, especially when things are hard because it's not kind of blindly following something and hoping it all works out. You know, it's a very intentional decision to be in the moment, be doing the work, give it your best shot and then make an assessment after the year. So I think that's so brilliant and so much to be learned from, from how you approach that. I'm so intrigued by, there just seems to be a lot of wisdom in even in these early stages of your career, where does it come from? You mentioned you're, you know, you're a learner. Is it, were there books that you loved? Was it people that you're around? Like, how did you kind of create these learnings and development for yourself? That's an interesting question. And I don't know if there was anything other than a feeling. It's more an emotion. So an emotion when I have a great coaching session, either with my coach or with someone else. Mm. It links to a belief and a value that I have to make absolutely the most out of everything that I get. Mm. Because I feel, you know, it might sound a bit morbid, but I remind myself that we're going to die at one point and it's going to end. So I need to go for it and have the best experience right now. That's on the one side. And I feel that that is why I constantly look at what can I learn more? What can I enjoy more? How can I make my life better? Mm -hmm. And that is also where the name for my company comes from. It's called Pursue It. And it Mm -hmm. is about pursuing your life and pursuing your career and taking control of the things that you can take control of and just to get the most out of it. Yeah. Let's talk about that because, you know, like I mentioned when we started, I mean, you've had tremendous growth and success. And back in 2015, you made the decision to launch a coaching business. What was kind of the driver behind deciding to do that? Because you had a lot on your plate already. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, it was being able to connect with people in a coaching environment and seeing them change. I've seen some of my coaching clients, and this is not to do with me and my superior coaching skills, but it's about the work that they do. They go from 
being on one end of the spectrum in whatever they want to develop to a completely other side of it. Sometimes the transformations and the transitions I see they take is just shocking for me as well. Yeah. It's fantastic to see. And it is only because I'm using coaching model to help them to clarify things for themselves. That is for me just soul work in a, in a way. And then also I just, I want to have options. I know this might be selfish to say, to say, but I want to have a great career, but also a successful business that I have options if I need them. And in a way to be a bit more flexible in my business than what we sometimes can be in corporate world. So in the corporate world, you have to do certain things. You have to adhere to a culture. And in my business, I just get to have the say completely. Yeah. So in some ways it kind of serves as a really important outlet for you to, you know, flex a lot of these, these muscles and thoughts and, and value that you want to bring that maybe just doesn't have a place in, you know, the more corporate environment. That's so great too, because it's really easy to fall into this trap of thinking very binary. And I, I'm really good at this. <laughs> I have a, I really, you know, when I've worked with my coach, like it's not all or nothing. It's not this or that, you know, it's kind of like if you could have it the way you want it, what do you want it to look like? And mm -hmm. I think what's really neat here is this idea that this is like the both and right. You can have both. So mm -hmm. it's, it's one of those of like, what's important to you, what's fulfilling to you, what's energy giving to you. And also there's this incredible career that you've built. And then how do those two coexist with one another, as opposed to feeling like you either have to have one or the other, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be so black and white. So exactly. I think I, I really, I really love that a lot. I think it's a really good reminder too, for all of us. I think we underestimate how much we are in control of what we want to do. And what I mean by that is I, I once wrote an email with a title, why it's important to be a different kind of pineapple. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, when we are in our corporate worlds, there are a certain way to network, certain way out to answer an email, certain way out to do things. And I think it, it becomes so generic that in our corporate roles and in our businesses, why not do things differently? Why not just do it differently? Just go against what everyone else is doing and see what happens. And, and I believe that that's what makes you stand out. Yeah. Is if you do things differently. Yeah. And I think, I think that should be our driver. It's just all to be different that we don't all look the same and act the same. And I think also it's the best thing for the organizations when they have different types of thinkers. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. In, in theory, that is very true. I think yeah. we all know that. And some companies are, are more effective at it than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true oh story. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, gosh, Jenna, I could talk to you for hours, but we are kind of closing in on time, which is so hard to believe. I always ask this question at the end, which is, as you look back on this incredible career and life that you have led to this point, if there was either a piece of advice that someone has given you that has served you really well, or something that you've learned on your journey up until this point, one thing you want people listening to take away, if they take mm -hmm. nothing else away, what would you want them to have? That's an interesting question. I, my biggest piece of advice would be to follow your own path. And that sounds maybe a little bit too generic, but it is this is also one of the reasons why I was eight years in that senior director role, mm. because I learned, unfortunately, the hard way that the next best step in your career is not necessarily up. So to have the courage and the insight and the confidence to say this next role up is not really what I want. But just because everyone goes up or it's natural for us to just go for the next promotion up doesn't mean it's the right thing for you. It could be lateral. It could be down into another role. It could be into another country, whatever it is for you. And that is what I would leave with people. And that's also something that drives me is that what we see as success in our careers and in the world and in our lifestyles doesn't necessarily actually mean it is success. Right. I think it yeah. doesn't. And I, I love that because there's so much of when we look outside of ourselves for 
answers or direction, that's when we get lost. Mm -hmm. And to your point, following your own path is doing that internal work of knowing who we are and what we want and what parts of ourselves we need to honor Mm -hmm. and allowing that to inform our decisions. And it's okay if it doesn't make sense to other people because we understand it. And that's, that's hard to do, but incredibly peaceful if that's how you're able to approach it. I love that. I love that so much. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And thank you so much for being here and for being part of Rising Tide and for sharing your incredible story. And if people want to connect with you and learn more about you and your coaching business, what would be the best place or best way for them to get in touch with you? Well, I think maybe the easiest way is to sign up for my newsletter. You've Mm -hmm. you've mentioned it and I, I really enjoy my newsletter, you know, and it's easy. They can come, go to my website, JeanetteGuerta.com. And on the homepage, it is get emails from me. And so what I do is every week, I send a short email, written email with mostly 70% about presentation skills, because that is my niche. And then the other 30% about career and life. And, you know, it's just also my space to be vulnerable and tell the stories how it is. Because I still feel like uh, you mentioned that, you know, I, my career is very successful and I, I see that, but I always still feel like just normal Jeanette, you know, just right. Jeanette, <laughs> everyday Jeanette that goes to work and does her thing and loves people and, you know, just a human being, just another human being. And in, in my newsletters and in my weekly emails, I just enjoy letting mm. people see that more. I love that. Well, I'll make sure to link to websites so people can easily subscribe. And I highly encourage you to do it because I have thoroughly enjoyed reading them (laughs) and am fascinated by what a phenomenal writer you are. So I thank you again for being here and being part of Rising Tide. I'm so grateful. Oh, Margaret, it was fantastic. I I feel so energized right now. Thank you very much for mm-hmm. having me. And uh, maybe we should do that again. We should Yay. do this again. <laughs> I, deal. <laughs> I enjoyed this conversation so much. And Janae just evokes such a warmth to her. And I admire her zest for learning, her willingness to explore new countries, new ideas, new information, and her ongoing desire to challenge beliefs and really think intentionally about what it is that she wants, what it is that she believes in, and putting great care into everything that she does. I've linked resources, so if you'd like to subscribe to Janae's newsletter, I also encourage you, if she really spoke to you, reach out, send her a note. I've linked her contact information here as well. And if you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment and leave us a quick review wherever it is you're listening to the podcast. As always, I want to say a big thank you to Josh Reedford for his amazing audio editing. And thank you to this incredible community. I appreciate you so much. Each week you show up listening to the stories, investing in yourself and aspiring to continue to live in your fullest self. Until next week, keep rising y'all.